Hey guys, welcome back to the FFP. My name is Christian, and today we're going to be talking about some of the top NFL prospects, some of the top rookies heading into this season, and discussing their fantasy impact and their fantasy value this year in 2020, and really what things are going to look like, because it's time to start mixing them into our mock drafts and our rankings, and, and comparing them to the guys they're going to be playing with this season. So I'm really excited about that, um, and I do want to say, hey, thanks guys for leaving so many comments on the last few videos. I was talking to a few of you guys in the comments of one of our most one of our most recent videos talking to uh, Darren Redfield and he kind of gave me the idea to talk about this or to do this video because we were talking about rookies and their value so huge shout out to you I really appreciate the comments man and the support it does mean a lot and, and one thing I want to say you had a great point and I love what you said when you said we're gonna have to wait until spring we're gonna have to wait till spring is over summer's over and we're in the fall and we're seeing uh, uh, preseason games and what coaches are saying about these guys and what their teammates are saying about these guys those sort of reports of how these guys are doing at practices this offseason is going to be huge I don't think we know nearly as much about these players as some people would lead you to believe I do feel very uh, I feel very solid about these picks I do want to talk about this video for a reason we're not just guessing I have a lot of support behind the players that I like and why I like them but we will always miss guys that will fall through the cracks until we get closer to the season um, case in point let's go back to Alvin Kamara just a couple of years ago man his rookie season nobody knew who this guy was he got drafted to a team where he was not supposed to succeed because they had Mark Ingram who was coming off his first 1,000 yard season with a solid yards per carry and who had also proven he could catch out of the backfield and they went and added Adrian Peterson back when Adrian Peterson was still a very effective runner at the time and so there was really no need for another running back it was kind of a kind of a strange pick by the Saints who suddenly come out and saying hey we just had to pick this guy we felt like he was way too talented to pass up and sure enough they were right he has been phenomenal so we're, we're definitely going to learn a lot more about these rookies heading forward um, and that's why we're going to do a part two to this video much later on in the offseason when we've had a lot more reports to work with and that's kind of one of my favorite things of the offseason is just to see what coaches and players are saying and kind of speculate a little bit but let's get right into it guys let's start talking about these rookies and the impacts that they're going to have on this season all right, guys, why not talk about and start this video off with Joe Burrow? Guys, it's hard not to talk about him. He looks phenomenal, and I really do mean it when I say he looks like he could be one of the next best really great NFL quarterbacks, and I wouldn't be surprised at all a couple of years from now to be saying that he's up there with Carson Wentz and Wilson and Pat Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and all those guys who have really proven themselves to be truly great quarterbacks. I do mean that. His college stats support that. He was phenomenal. He threw 60 touchdowns, uh, and he ran five in in just his senior year that was first among all college football quarterbacks and what really stands out about that is the next best guy in passing touchdowns through just 48 and he also had almost 100 more passing attempts so Joe Burrow was really phenomenal last year and that's not the only stat that proves it for me stat after stat he just dominated he threw just six interceptions last year which is really interesting because that means 78 college quarterbacks threw more interceptions than him 78 of them and most of those guys didn't attempt to throw the ball nearly as much as he did. In fact, Joe Burrow attempted the second most passes in college, as well as his 10.8 yards per attempt was super efficient, third among quarterbacks behind only Tua and Jalen Hurts. I think that's a bit of a skewed stat there for Tua, because he was really in an offense there in Alabama that used him much more efficiently. So I'm not surprised to see him have a slightly better yards per attempt in passing. 
but finally his pass rating of 202 phenomenal second only to Tua who again was really used quite a bit more efficiently uh, but what I like most about this not only is he the best quarterback coming out of this draft and I do mean it he's probably the best prospect out of this draft period uh, but he went to a good team he really did they have got some weapons there Tyler Boyd last year went for 90 catches and over a thousand yards plus he had 51 first downs and five touchdowns he was phenomenal and then you throw in John Ross really started to explode last year before getting hurt Auden Tate and Alex Erickson really mixed in solid as running or excuse me wide receivers three and four and then Mixon I think a lot of people really do not give Mixon the credit he deserves he averaged 8.2 yards per catch that is seriously going to help he has got a lot of weapons there the only question was that offensive line was pretty bad they definitely made some improvements there as well and uh and then their defense I think one of the things that's really interesting their defense allowed 420 points last season that was worst in the NFL or that was near worst in the NFL towards the bottom and that's going to bode very well for them because you can get a lot of garbage time stats out of Joe Burrow that's the upside for him now I want to talk about the downside the downside is they made massive improvements to their defense so I don't think you'll get as many garbage time stats as he would have had he played last year as well as with Joe Mixon I think they're kind of coming in with a new regime I really think they're fixing some things there and and looking forward, I think they're going to play good defense because they did make massive improvements to their defense. And they're going to run the ball with Mixon. I really do mean that. I think they're going to run the ball quite a bit. And I don't think they're going to ask him to throw the ball nearly as much as a lot of people would think. They do have a bad defense. It's still not going to be a great defense. And he will pick up garbage time stats just not as much as it would have been last year. So just put a little balance to that. But my biggest thing that I want to say as far as his fantasy impact, I think his fantasy impact is going to be very minuscule. I'm not huge on him fantasy-wise. I love him as a quarterback, and I even love him as a fantasy quarterback in dynasty leagues. But as far as 2020 goes, not very big on him. And the reason for that is there is a curve. Becoming a solid fantasy quarterback takes time. The NFL is a very tricky league to play in. We look at guys like Jared Goff through just, I think, five or six touchdowns his rookie year followed that up with I think 29 and then over 30 there's a real gap in quarterback play between their first and their second and their third year and that's not just for guys like Jared Goff that is absolutely everyone in the league take for example Lamar Jackson I do fully believe that Joe Burrow could become one of the next Lamar Jackson, Pat Mahomes quarterbacks in the NFL, but it's going to take time, and it did for Lamar. I mean, take a look at it. His uh, last year, he was phenomenal. 36 passing touchdowns, led the NFL, MVP, crazy performance. Everything about him was electric, fun to watch, dominant, phenomenal. Any word you can put on him, he was that. But that was followed up after a rookie year where he threw just six touchdown passes six touchdown passes to 36. There is a real struggle for rookie quarterbacks. It is a very difficult position to play. While I think he's a great quarterback, I'm probably not drafting him in most fantasy leagues. And if I am, I'm drafting him very, very late. There's also just a lot of talent out there at the quarterback position you don't have to reach. I mean, take a look at it. A guy like Matthew Stafford, could be drafted very late. And I think right now he's not even ranked inside the top 12 or even 14 by most sites. And yet before getting hurt last year, he was on pace to throw 36 touchdown passes, which would have tied Lamar Jackson. And when you can get that as one of the last QBs off the board, that says a lot about the type of talent there is at the quarterback position. So I'm not going to reach on him. I think he's a great quarterback. I don't think he's going to have a huge impact, but let's move on. Let's start talking about our next player. 
Now, I think it only makes sense to talk about the first running back that was taken off the board. Let's talk about Clyde Hilaire Edwards. Um, this guy looks really great. I think he actually does have a lot of fantasy value coming out right here in his rookie year. For starters, I think for starters, excuse me, uh, I think he's in a great system and a great offense there in Kansas City. The Chiefs with Pat Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, they got so many weapons. All they needed was a running back, and they went out and I think they found their guy, and I think they think they found their guy. And he's got a lot of talent. Looking back at college, he really performed well. On uh, 215 carries, he ran for over 1,400 yards. That is a massively impressive 6.6 yards per carry and 16 touchdowns. Compared to the other college backs, though, that's really not phenomenal. It's good. It's above average. I would even dare say it's getting close to great. But there were guys who ran over 2,000 yards last year and had 20 touchdowns. And some, I mean, some guys were just better runners than him. What makes him stand out is he's not just a running back. This guy is a wide receiver, not a running back who can catch. This guy's a wide out. I mean, seriously, he had 55 catches, almost 500 receiving yards in his last year alone in college. He adds a lot to the Kansas City backfield. That's exactly the sort of thing that they're looking for in that offense. Earlier, I mentioned the sort of things that we evaluate players by, right? Opportunity and talent and scheme fit. This is one of them. Um, playing in Andy Reid's offense as a running back, you need to be able to catch the ball. Andy Reid does not typically, I mean, he has not had a lot of running backs throughout his coaching career. He had Slim Shady for quite a few years. He had Jamal Charles for quite a few years, and he would have had uh, Kareem Hunt for quite a few years had we not had all the, the drama that happened there. And all three of those guys, the most successful backs in the Andy Reid offense in that scheme, have been guys who can catch the ball to the backfield. So this is a perfect perfect fit for the Chiefs who added a nice weapon into their system there. Also to tally it up he told a 270 touches 1800 yards and averaged 6.9 yards per touch with 17 touchdowns. He looked great. Um, but what I really like about this is it's the opposite situation as quarterbacks where Joe Burrow is going to need time to develop and you cannot come into the league and dominate from year one as a QB as a running back that's kind of become the norm. So if we take a look back at the last six years, we have absolutely seen, or let's look back even more than that. We'll, we'll go back to 2012. First overall, right, or not first overall, but the first running back taken in each year has typically been really good. Last year, it was Josh Jacobs. He finished 21st among running backs. Barkley, the year before, finished first. The year before that was Fournette, who finished ninth. Before that was Ezekiel Elliott, who finished second. Todd Gurley, who finished ninth. Then we had an off year. Bishop Sankey in 2014 was the best fantasy, or was the first overall running back, or the first running back taken out of the draft that year, excuse me, he finished 46th. Before that, it was Giovanni Bernard at 13, Trent Richardson at 7, and then we can even go back even further, say to 2012, or excuse me, 2007, Adrian Peterson, he finished 5th among running backs. So just year after year after year, rookie running backs are absolutely able to dominate, and especially the guy that gets taken first overall, because it is a position where I think cornerback or wide receiver or QB can be very hard to measure. Running back seems like a position where teams are far more likely to just say, hey, this guy is good, and they're right. I don't think they have a lot of whiffs at the running back position compared to other positions. By the way, if you add up the averages of all of those years, those running backs on average to finish as the 12th best fantasy running back, making them a borderline RB1 
which is huge. If we take out the outliner, which is Bishop Sankey and just a really obscure pick there that this is, again, kind of a weird off year called an outlier. Um, you take that out, they averaged being the running back eight. So suddenly you can begin to imagine how important it is to be the first running back off the board in a system and a scheme and an offense that's very productive and you fit that system. If he gets the volume that he very well could, he could be a huge fantasy running back this season and especially have huge dynasty value, particularly in PPR leagues. Definitely like Edwards this year. But let me know if you guys agree. I know that for a lot of people, he was not the most talented running back um, in your minds or in a lot of people's opinions. So who do you think was better, I guess? Do you think this was the right pick for the Chiefs? So watching the draft, DeAndre Swift being taken by the Lions, for me, was one of the most interesting picks in the draft because for me, he has one of the highest ceilings, one of the biggest upside running backs in this draft, especially in that offense, but he's also got some huge bust potential. While I do like that clearly the Lions need a running back, I think they learned that last year, Carryon Johnson, who is really big. Some people were really big on him, quite a solid sleeper there for some people. It just didn't turn out. And I think the Lions are starting to get frustrated with him and all their entire backfield. So they bring in this guy with huge talent. He is probably the most elusive running back in this draft class. He's known for making plays from nothing. He's great at reading his blockers. He is super, super quick. Um, He's really effective. He was one of the most fun running backs to watch in college back in 2019. But there's a lot of downside to him. He does struggle to run through contact. He doesn't push through piles with quite as much physicalness. And while he is very quick, he doesn't have quite the same open field speed. He also has a little bit of ball security issues or quite a bit of ball security issues, I should say. But um, but for me, the most interesting thing about this, again, is where he ends up in Detroit. Um, I think that he could be huge, but I have some major concerns with that Lions offensive line that was well below average. For me, I'm not going to take him quite far as excuse me, quite as far ahead of these, some of these other guys are quite as early as some people in your leagues are going to take them. For me, he comes in as a running back four. And I tell you why he has huge upside. And there's a reason I do draft a lot of running backs early. So I can get him as my number four, uh, but I just don't trust him. And I want to go out there and take two solid guys and a backup before that happens. So there's going back a couple of years. I remember I was in a league with Rob um, and he had very unfortunate luck that year. He had Jamal Charles and Le'Veon Bell, who were both projected to be, as according to fantasy rankings, running backs one and three. He was supposed to be absolutely set to dominate in a PPR league. And that very same year, they both got hurt. And if they both got hurt and I was left with DeAndre Swift, who could bust, and some other running back who I don't really know who, you know, that could definitely start to make me really nervous. So for me, I'm not going to take him terribly early, but I definitely think he has huge upside. And to get him, you're going to have to draft him early. The only teams that are going to be able to get this guy are teams that are really prioritizing running backs or the teams who uh, forgot to take a solid second back and are kind of scrambling. But um, huge. This guy had just dominated in college. In fact, when you look back at his 2019 stats, and I'm not going to waste too much time with this. I'm not going to go through his whole college career, but you will look back at his 2019 stats. He had a really great year. He did over 1,200 rushing yards and seven touchdowns on just 196 carries. He ran over six yards per carry and had 24 catches with a receiving touchdown and over uh, 216 yards. That doesn't mean he averaged nine yards per catch. He looks great. Those numbers, not necessarily the best of college running backs, but they 
then you take a step back and realize that he played in all 14 college games, but due to some shoulder injuries that limited him, he only started in 11 of those games. He was very, very much held back by some injury issues. So for me, he is a high-end running back, and no, I don't have major injury concerns for him. Um, but he does have some risk. Um, again, um, I think I could repeat this all day. I, I could stand here talking about how he makes me nervous and where is he going to go. This is all going to depend on how you feel about him personally as you go into your drafts and where you're going to take him. For me, he falls outside of the first six rounds. And I know that for a lot of people, that means he's already going to be gone. But think about it. I want to lock up two stud backs and take him as my running back three or four. And I need to lock up a tight end and at least one stud wide receiver that right there is already the first four or five rounds. What do you do after that? I mean, then you can start to gamble on running backs, but there's a good chance he's already going to be taken. And that for me, I think he has way too much likelihood to be a bust this year in that offense. So for me, I do bump him quite a bit lower there, but man, he's got huge upside. He is so effective. If he was a little bit more physical and better at pushing through contact and running guys over, I would take him earlier, but I do just have some concern. I have had this concern about other running backs. I know that a lot of people had this concern about Dalvin Cook coming out of college, and you see it worked out fine for Dalvin Cook, so I wouldn't necessarily let it alarm you, but it is something to keep in mind that that's not his strong suit. But let's continue on. Let's talk about our next guy. Next up, how could we not talk about Jonathan Taylor? Now, I'm going to say it right now. I love this guy. He has so much potential. I'm not a huge fan of that Colts offense right now. I don't think they have the receiving core um, that they need, and I don't think that Phillip Rivers is the answer at quarterback. But I definitely think that one thing they've got is Jonathan Taylor. First of all, the biggest thing that's going to limit his value is Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack had a good year last year. He went over 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns, as well as they've got Naheem Hines as their PPR back. We'll address that concern later, but for now, that is going to be his biggest concern, and I am going to recognize that. But first, let's talk about how talented he is. I mean, this guy is huge. He's 225, and yet he ran a 4.39 40-yard dash. This guy is an awesome combination of big and fast. And that is just two things in the NFL that you have to be if you want to succeed, especially at running back. In fact, he's a really dominant guy. According to NFL Films' Greg Cassell, he's been compared to guys like Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott as far as his ability to just be a pure physical runner. And that's not a stretch at all. He showed the ability in college. Not only did he have 12 games in which he ran for over 200 yards, he finished his last season with over 2,000 rushing yards on 6.3 yards per carry and 21 rushing touchdowns. He was absolutely dominant. Very, very few running backs have had that much success in college ever. So that right there is huge. He is a just physical back and that's going to be huge for him. Something that the Colts really needed. Um, but there's some more things that I like to this situation. For starters, take a look back to last year. You know what running back as a rookie really surprised some people and had a quite dominant year? Miles Sanders. And you know what? He ran behind the Eagles offensive line, who was the best run blocking offensive line, according to PFF last year. You know who was second? The Indianapolis Colts. So this could very well be another situation where a good offensive line helps a running back have a dominant rookie season. We've seen this with just about every other back. Offensive line and fantasy points for running backs go hand in hand, and this could be huge. So why do I think he's going to get the touches he needs? Because ultimately, half the battle in fantasy is the touches. If you're not getting the ball, you're not getting fantasy points. That's plain and simple. And with Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines there, I think a lot of people just don't think he's going to get the touches. But I, 
I think he might. I definitely think he might. And here's why. Marlon Mack did go over 1,000 yards and have eight rushing touchdowns, but he had a yards per carry of just 4.4, which was 22nd among running backs last year. That's not horrible. That's not embarrassing or anything terrible, but it's not very good. It is. It's not very good at all. And when you're running behind the second most efficient run blocking offensive line in the NFL, that number needs to be higher. And I think the Indianapolis Colts realized that. And that's probably part of the reason they went out and drafted Taylor. I think they also felt like Taylor was just simply too good to pass up. And they just had to grab this guy because he wouldn't be there when they came back around to draft again. But there's also more weaknesses in his game. You know, he had just 14 catches last year. Marlon Mack did just 14. That is bad. You definitely need to be more productive than that. Um, but of course, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. He did have over a thousand yards. And so, you know, kind of looking through some of the numbers, I was thinking, hey, maybe he only had the catches because Naheem Hines. I would totally understand that. But you look back at his other years and, well, he's never really been a stud PPR guy. And hey, his yards per carry were low. And yeah, there's a good offensive line. But I thought, hey, you know, my one thought was, you know, it could really redeem Marlon Mack's season last year was, hey, maybe their passing game was really bad. And maybe it was so bad that teams were loading the box and stuffing the run. But that wasn't the case either. As we look at it, he saw just 12% loaded boxes. That was 40th lowest percentage in the NFL. He was pampered last year. No loaded boxes, great offensive line, and he couldn't get it done on the ground. And he, well, he couldn't get it done efficiently on the ground, and he wasn't getting it done at all in the air. And most importantly, his contract is done after this year, and I think the Colts are going to let him go. I think they're going to begin trans transitioning to their next stud young back. That guy, Jonathan Taylor, huge upside. Again, a lot of people have compared him to Ezekiel Elliott. I don't know if I'd quite go that far, but definitely don't think that that's out of the realm of possibility. It's just maybe a little bit more than I would say for him. Let's get going and talk about our next guy. But yeah, I really do like Jonathan Taylor heading into this season. So the next guy we got to talk about is running back Cam Akers drafted by the Rams. Uh, continuing on with this trend that I've been talking about, I think it's really important to remember just how valuable it is. Touches, opportunity, volume, whatever you want to call it. Uh, guys just, they need to be given a chance for them to have fantasy value. They got to get on the field and touch the ball. And for a guy who has the, of talking about the guys who have the most opportunity to get the most touches, this guy I think has the most open window to a clear starting job Despite the fact that I'm not as huge on Cam Akers as I am and many other of these backs, it's hard for me to ignore him simply by the fact that he has got just a wide open door to a starting job. And of course, the Rams didn't have a pick in the first round. So Akers was their first pick and seems like to be their replacement plan for losing Todd Gurley. Um, another thing to note there is I'm not quite as familiar with Cam Akers as I've been with some of these other running backs. I'm not as huge on him, but everyone really feels like, and I do agree with this, that he is a great fit for that system. Looking off at his stats, he had a finished college with fairly good numbers, not the best of the best, but definitely solid numbers. He had 231 carries for over 1,100 yards and 14 touchdowns. He also had 30 catches and four receiving touchdowns, as well as he ran for five yards per carry. Now, the interesting thing to note about that is a lot of these other running backs we're talking about in this video are averaging over six yards per carry, and good for them. But one of the things that you want to note is that Cam Akers had a very bad offensive line to run behind, and that would definitely explain why his yards per carry was a little bit lower than those other guys. 
and yet it was still five yards per carry. It was not bad at all. And a lot of people give him props for that. And I think a lot of people are really impressed with him for being able to have such consistency and high level of performance despite working with just bad blockers up front. And of course, that's going to help a lot. And he's going to need to be able to continue to use that ability as he's going to be running behind the Rams offensive line, which was seventh worst in their run blocking efficiency rating, according to PFF. So definitely something to watch there. And and that's the other thing. When you talk about it, it does concern me that, hey, I don't think he's the most talented running back and the offensive line isn't the best. But for me, it's simply hard to ignore the opportunity and the chances that he is going to get. The Rams running backs last year, the running backs that they had, just weren't getting it done. Todd Gurley had 3.8 yards per carry, and then Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson had 3.7 and 3.8 yards per carry alike. So there is definitely a room to improve, and that's what I mean. Those running backs, Brown and Henderson, just they just weren't getting the job done, and I think the Rams knew that, and hopefully they're going to bring this guy in, and he's going to get the volume, and they're going to see what he can do with it, and who knows? Maybe he turns the ship around, and maybe they make massive improvements to their offensive line heading into this season. I think it's a bit of a stretch to say they'll have massive improvements, but Sean McVay is a good coach, and I think they will take a solid step forward. We'll see whether or not that equates to fantasy numbers for Cam Akers, however. Let's talk about our next guy. Let's talk about Jerry Judy now because, you know, we got to cover some wide receivers at some point in this video. For me, I love this guy. I'm just going to come out and say it right now. I think he is one of, if not the best wide receiver coming out of this draft class. He looks like he could be a phenomenal help to that Broncos offense, and they, they definitely needed to go out and take some wide receivers and get some help. So good for them. I think that was a great pick. I think they took him 15th overall. That was right where I thought that was a perfect landing spot for him, not only how far he would drop, but which team he would go to. I mean, this is a young offense. I think it's always a real benefit in the long term for wide receivers to go with younger quarterbacks because they can really get some chemistry with a quarterback before that quarterback has gotten used to other wide receivers. And chemistry is really important. Trust me, I think there's a lot of wide receivers who have hurt themselves by moving teams to a quarterback that just doesn't throw the ball their way as much. But, um, but that's the interesting thing. I want to talk about him. I don't think he's got huge value right away. I think he's got massive dynasty value down the road, but his rookie year makes me a bit nervous. For starters, wide receiver is a position that takes a very long time to adjust to. It usually takes three, sometimes even four years to really see how good a wide receiver is going to be. We've mentioned this on this channel before, but don't forget, Chris Carter didn't have his first 1,000-yard season until he was 27 years old. So yeah, I wouldn't expect your wide receivers to explode right off the bat quite as often or succeed quite as quickly as some of the other positions are able to. But looking at it, he is one of the most mature NFL-ready wide receivers. He's got great hands. He's a great route runner. I have very little concern with him, though I guess my one concern might be he is a pretty skinny guy. He's a little bit undersized. Uh, if he could fill out a little bit more and handle the physical cornerbacks of the NFL, that's going to help him a lot. But my big concern for him um, is I'll just short and simple, great dynasty value, good for you. If you're in a redraft league, he holds a lot less value. My reason for that being you've got a very young quarterback in Drew Locke. You have an offensive line that I don't necessarily love. It's not a terrible offensive line, not worse than the NFL, but far from elite. You've got a lot of weapons there. So what we see right now is with Philip Lindsay, good runner and pass catcher, and Melvin Gordon, who's a good runner and pass catcher, it's pretty interesting to see that I think they're going to be a very run-heavy offense. I'm going to have a lot of fun watching what they're going to do with those pieces, especially because you've got Drew Locke, who is a very young quarterback and who's not, you know, sort of matured in the NFL yet. They're going to stick to the ground game. They're going to stick to their defense. They've got a lot of defensive talent, and that is absolutely going to be 
something that's going to limit the fantasy value of their receivers. Furthermore, you've got Cortland Sutton as a stud wide receiver, one um, really young and talented tight end in Noah Fant. Then you've got Jerry Judy. You've also got two stud backs out of the backfield, and they drafted KJ Hamler. So suddenly, you've got to wonder how much volume of touches is going to be able to go his way. The way I see it, either that offense performs really well, and they use the running backs a lot, and they throw to their running backs a lot, and they throw to Cortland Sutton a lot, and KJ Hamler's a stud deep guy, and he just doesn't get enough touches because there's a lot of guys to spread the ball around to, or this young quarterback, Drew Locke, struggles, and the offense as a whole struggles. And so for me, I like him a lot. I just don't think he has short-term value. And you're going to need to pick him up basically depending on what type of league you're in. But let's move on. There's a wide receiver I've been dying to talk about for a while now. Finally, guys, I want to talk about one more guy, and that's receiver Jalen Rago, or whatever you say his name is. Um, for me right now, this is a receiver that I think we're talking about guys who can have an immediate and a long-term impact at the wide receiver position. I think that fantasy value-wise, Jalen is absolutely one of those guys. Being taken, I believe, 21st overall by the Eagles is the perfect landing spot for him as the Eagles desperately needed their wide receiver. And I fully believe that they found him. This guy, he is quick. He is explosive. He runs good routes. He attacks the ball at its high point. He's got good hands. And man, he's really effective after the catch. He is ultimately the exact exact type of receiver that the Eagles wanted to get. And I think that's why they stayed right there and took him at that 21st pick. I think that was absolutely the right move for the Eagles and they need one. I mean, even the one guy that they've really got there in their receiving core that was reliable or even okay last year was Alshon Jeffrey, who quite honestly has even been a little bit of a disappointment. And there's even been some drama and some rumors that they've been trying to trade him and dump him off that things are not necessarily great for Jeffrey there playing in Philadelphia. So yeah, they're definitely looking for their next wide receiver. And there is a spot wide open for Jalen, who I think is absolutely going to fill that spot and be a huge part of this Eagles offseason this year, or offseason of the Eagles season this year. But uh, what I like most about him is his quarterback, Carson Wentz, who is a seriously underrated quarterback. He looks phenomenal. And I am really, really excited to watch these two together. I hope they have good chemistry and we can see Carson thrown his way a ton because man, Carson Wentz has been super effective. And in fact, I think a lot of people don't realize how effective he's been. He had a solid rookie season, not amazing, not flashy, but solid, in which case he stepped it up his next year and had that phenomenal season in which he was supposed to be MVP before he got hurt in I think week 13, but I think he still finished with like 33 touchdown passes or something like that. He was he was really on fire. And then he comes back this year, um, and he had another great year, a bit more quietly, so to speak. He doesn't quite get the hype as many other quarterbacks, but man, he was effective, and he broke a lot of records. I was reading quite a few different things that he did here. For example, Wentz had 23 games in his career with 30 or more attempts, and no touchdowns in those games. That's most ever by a quarterback in his first four seasons. In his first four seasons, he has thrown 97 touchdown passes. That's ninth most in NFL history by a quarterback in his first four years. Of the 28 quarterbacks with at least 80 touchdown passes in their first four seasons, Wentz has the best interception ratio among those guys. He has been extremely effective. We can look at it stat after stat after stat. He's been just extremely effective. He has had an NFL high 11 games last season with at least one touchdown and no interception. The only quarterback who has done that was Russell Wilson. We've also seen guys um, like uh, Aaron Rodgers do that as well, um, I believe at the age of 25, but, or, excuse me, 
not 25. Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, I got to start memorizing these notes so I don't read them because I keep reading them wrong. But he, he's just been really effective. He also became the first in NFL history. So I was reading this article the other day and I saw this and this what read me down this uh, kind of led me down this rabbit hole of Carson Wentz facts and information from just how effective he was last year. But I read Wentz on Sunday became the first quarterback in NFL history to throw 20 or more touchdowns and seven or fewer interceptions in three straight seasons. Only Tom Brady, Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson have done that twice. He is an elite company, one of the most effective and underrated quarterbacks in the NFL. And it's crazy to think that quarterbacks like, say, Aaron Rodgers, people say, wow, I wish Rodgers had more weapons. Meanwhile, he had Devontae Adams. And then we look at a guy like Carson Wentz, who took his team to the playoffs and has done it multiple times with barely any weapons. His top guy was uh, Zach Ertz. And then really after that, didn't have a whole lot to work with last year. They had offensive line issues, receiver issues, running back health issues, just left and right problems. And he just carried that team on his back. So that for me is one of the biggest things I like about Jalen's situation, a great quarterback. And I tell you what, guys, um, I think in fantasy, analyzing some things, we can really begin to overthink things. Don't overthink it. Fact of the matter is a good quarterback equals a good fantasy receiver, and that is the truth. So this is just one more player that I like for sure. All right, guys. So as I mentioned earlier in the video, I think we got to do a part two to this video later on in the offseason as we really begin to see what these guys are going to look like. And we can hear some reports from other teammates, players, and coaches from around the NFL. That'll give us a much better clue as to what these guys are going to look like. Um, and that's, of course, why I tend to push my drafts off until at least the second half of preseason. But thank you guys so much for watching. You guys are the best. You have a great day and God bless.